Welcome to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter. Whether you feel that you don't have enough money to start investing or are under the preconceived notion that investing is only for the wealthy, Magnus and his expert guests are here to help you. Now here is your host, Magnus Carter. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, we're already halfway, th- almost halfway through June already. Uh, last week was another uh, fantastic uh, show, if you will. Uh, I did about graduation. Uh, for anybody out there that's graduating or knows somebody that's graduating, definitely check it out. Some uh, tips and tricks uh, for the upcoming seasons in your life. So, But today is definitely going to be a topic that's very interesting to a lot of people because people rely on this uh, beverage, if you will, religiously and have to drink it all the time to actually want either feel better or actually use it to uh, get through the day. And today's show is all about coffee. And I have a the founder and president of Mayorga Organics um, in the uh, which is Martin Mayorga. Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know. Coffee is basically life to everybody. You know, it's pretty much a lifeline for anybody out there that's working or um, in the adult realm and actually starting to flow into the teenagers um, and some pre-adolescents as well uh, because of because of the great uh, some of the, some of the things that coffee, um, the caffeine and the coffee can do for us. But before we get into all that fun stuff, uh, can you give us a little bit about your history and how how you actually got into the coffee business? Yeah, so I was actually born in Guatemala, um, and then I grew up in Nicaragua. Um, when I was there, a revolution kind of kicked off, and we ended up having to leave Nicaragua very abruptly and came here to Costa Rica, which is where I am right now, uh, for about a year. Uh, from there, we went to Peru, where we have family, and inevitably went into the U.S. as refugees of the Nicaraguan Revolution, where we spent some time in Miami and then eventually went up to the D.C. area. Um, so I was very much a Latin American kid. I didn't really speak any English till I was 10, 11. And I very quickly became Americanized. You know, I had to fit in. I had, it was a tough age to be a, a you know, somebody that stood out, especially in the eighties, which people weren't as, uh, accepting as they are today. So, you know, learning English and becoming an American kid was top priority. So I did that. I became, you know, a typical American kid. I played baseball. I ended up, um, you know, going to college in the D.C. area. And I then started going back to Nicaragua with my dad uh, in 1991 after the first democratic election since the revolution. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, this whole new life that I had kind of created in the U.S. was one thing, but the reality of who I was was still in Nicaragua and with those memories and the things that I had experienced and learned um in in Nicaragua I'm sorry in Guatemala and Peru I just felt a lot of responsibility so I really started to kind of ask myself what can I do to be more engaged with the countries that really made me who I am and in college I was studying finance I was ready to graduate and I decided no I'm going to just go do my own thing and I actually started a cigar business um you know I had been going to the north of Nicaragua with my dad since I was little and that's where we, um, you know, my dad would buy cigars. And I, so I knew all the Cuban families from those days. So it was kind of a, a, a good entryway. 
And while I was in the cigar business, I spent time in the mountains too, because the tobacco grows in the valley and all the coffee's up in the mountains. And talking to a family friend, he just explained to me how he had gotten his farm back after the revolution and, you know, the, the lands were given back, but he was going to have to shut it down because he couldn't make money. And basically the only reason he couldn't make money was because the supply chain was so bloated in the middle mm -hmm. where he had no access even to the buyers in his country. Um, so I said, you know, when you're in your 20s and naive, you think, well, we'll just figure it out. You know, an industry that has been operating a certain way for 200 years, uh, we'll do it differently. And frankly, we did. I said, send me a container of coffee, which is about 40,000 pounds. Whatever difference we make um, that you would have, over what you'd have make, made, we split that. I paid my student loans because I had about 150 grand in student loans by the time I graduated. And um, I really realized it was pretty easy to kind of do the right thing, get into an inter interesting industry. And I started selling green coffee to roasters. So unroasted raw coffee. And keep in mind, this is the mid nineties. So there weren't that many coffee roasters, right? I mean, Starbucks was kind of the only kind of shiny new object. And there was a couple up and coming, but then I realized I needed to start roasting because there weren't enough roasters. And frankly, most of them didn't care to deal with somebody importing coffee. They wanted to buy it out of New York because it was safer. So then I started the uh, trajectory into roasting and, you know, developing into where it is now. Okay. Well, as, as the process of coffee kind of eludes a lot of us out there, um, we just like the finished product and just drink lots of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. we just like to put the water in it or go to, like you said, a Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or um, another, even McDonald's. McDonald's is known for their coffee, is uh, even as a fast food pl place is what are some of the steps that you actually had? So you actually, when you started this business, you actually had to get a process. You've actually noticed that there's different processes of, of coffee of, uh, um, as a whole, but how far into the process did you take your business? I mean, at this point, we're all into everything except being a farmer. Um, okay. So, you know, the, I called my uncle, but he was a family friend. I mean, he drew out the, the kind of supply chain. And the first part is a lot of farmers can pick the red cherry, which is basically the, the seed is inside a red cherry, but they don't have the machinery to pulp it, to take the, the seed out of the cherry. So their best bet is just to sell the red cherry. And a lot of them don't have trucks or the uh, wherewithal to find the buyer. So then a coyote, a middleman, will come and buy it literally street side from you. So we, you know, I saw a lot of inefficiency just from day one, right? Uh, right. What if we then help farmers get the depulper? What if we help farmers then align with with mills through relationships from a buyer? Um, and that's what we do now, right? We engage with the farmers all the way into our facility, and we manage everything from pre-harvest, helping them get financing, which is probably the most critical thing we do, um, and then bring the product on container ships uh, through the port of Baltimore to our facility. Okay. Wow. So out of all these farms that you're working with, how many farms are you actually working with in your, in those countries? You know, it's just a ballpark between six and 10,000 farmers, because I like to focus on cooperatives because okay. cooperatives tend to be made up of very small impoverished indigenous uh, individuals and communities who typically are more, susceptible to any type of uh, manipulation. So we focused on co-ops and some co-ops can have 3000 members. So we've done kind of a traceability to figure out where we specifically touch. And it depends on the year and the types of coffees, but minimum 6,000 upwards of 10,000 farmers. 
Wow, that's that's crazy. And out of all, you know, coffee coffee plants and that have to have like huge areas. How big of an area are you talking here? Are you talking like mountainsides of coffee coffee plants? Oh yeah, entire mountains. I mean, to produce a container of coffee, depending on the area, I mean, you might need anywhere between fifty and seventy acres, depending on your output. Um, so coffee takes a lot of land. Coffee takes a lot of land. Um, you know, luckily it's been there for generations, so there's no deforestation at this point of anything. We promote uh, planting more for uh, shade, et cetera. So yeah, it's pretty vast. It's a pretty vast uh, use of land. And it's critical in Latin America, which is where we work exclusively. Okay. It's part of, of GDP for a lot of these countries. Wow, okay, that's that's amazing. Um... You know, as we're talking, especially we're talking mountainsides and whatnot, how do you differentiate which kind of coffee comes from what type of plant? Or which, which region would be, I guess, a better terminal, a better you know, breakdown? There's so many variables. Uh, region, like you said, elevation. Okay. The initial plant that they, they, uh, that they plant, you know, there's a, a tremendous amount of varieties nowadays. Some are strictly for cup profiles, some are for resistance to certain diseases, some are for more abundance of volume. And really that's where the agronomy takes place to really work with producers and, and you know, they work with the agronomists to make sure that they're planting the right balance of quality, uh, good output, uh, resistance, resistance to disease. And it, it can be anywhere between four varieties in one farm to 15, 20 in another one. Wow. And you said um, that you're co that you're constantly replanting. So, how what is the life lifespan of a coffee plant or coffee tree? Well, there is typically you want to really kind of replant every ten years. You know, a, okay. a coffee plant can last 20, 30 years. Its productivity goes down. So, we we help our producers typically have a, a strategy where five to ten percent of the farm every year is being renovated. Uh, it's tricky because then it takes about three years for that new planting to actually become export. Mm -hmm. So it's an investment and it's, it's it takes some patience. Okay. Okay. Now the plants that you you take out of production, do you how do you use them? Do they just go onto a pile or do you sell them to someone else uh, for possibly um, like livestock feed or something, or is it just disregarded? Well, what's interesting is the wood nowadays, it's great for um, for barbecuing and stuff. So actually, I was at a friend's house this weekend, and he had a really, really nice Argentinian grill okay. where you hang the vegetables on top and the meat in the middle, and then and all he was using was coffee wood. Um, and we're seeing a lot more of that. Um, it's too small to really build much with because, you know, it's maybe two, three inches in diameter. Mm -hmm. uh, so the wood you get to see used a lot. Um and then the leaves just get typically, um, you know, put into the uh, compost, most of our producers, because we only work organic. So we only okay. work no chemical organic production. So most of our producers will have a compost system and they'll just, whatever is, you know, organic material, they'll compost in there. Now, have you seen, since you're in the coffee industry and you've seen organic versus non-organic, is there that big of a difference in taste and quality? You know, there is, but I would make the very strong argument that it's less about taste and quality and more about the amount of chemicals used in coffee is absurd. I mean, uh, 
Obviously, I think you're going to have a better, slower development of the bean, which typically uh, develops more sugars and more flavors. So I do think there's generally better flavor. To me, the bigger reality is, you know, especially nowadays when everybody talks about, you know, caring for the environment, caring for producers, it's it's just when you see it, it's it's sad to see people. And a lot of you have to remember a lot of these small, poor farmers live on their land that they farm. And moreover, coffee farms are on the top of a mountain. So what happens when it rains? It goes into the rivers, which go into the sea. And so there's a sense of responsibility as well. And there's a sense of, you know, our choices create impacts. And to some people, unfortunately, even in my own industry, those places are far away, right? The impact is in another country I don't need to worry about. For me, being from these countries, I have a sense of responsibility to do what's right for the communities and the countries that, you know, we get coffee from. And frankly, you see the difference. I mean, you go to a uh, conventional coffee farm and the soil looks like sand. It basically is just a holder of roots. And then you have to feed those roots through, you know, chemicals and whatever else. Yeah. If you go to an organic farm, it's just rich in black soil and moist and humid. And you have like a little layer of leaves on top. That So it is a big difference. And, you know, and even if you don't believe in all that, if you believe in supply chain, uh, you know, consistency, if you want coffee right. in the future, it's got to be able to grow. So that's a big aspect for us too. Okay. All right. That, that's definitely good to know because uh, a lot of people, you know, what can what, um, chocolate and whatnot. And I, I'm going to relate to coffee because I'm not a, co- a coffee fan. I, I just don't drink ca- caffeine. That's just me. Uh, but it's definitely interesting to find out how this actually takes place and, and the business end behind it because, not a lot of people understand how why it is ex- so expensive for coffee nowadays, especially with uh, I, I guess we can call them uh, boutique coffees, would be the proper term, I guess. Yeah, I think two things have happened. Number one, you know, we've got we go into these 10 to 12 year commodity super cycles, and coffee is the number two traded commodity in the world. So the base of commercial coffee kind of sets the floor of pricing for all coffee. So the commercial grade coffee. If it goes up, so will the super high-end specialty stuff because now there's a new floor that everybody's comparing against. Whether people want to believe in the specialty world that they're not buying against the commodities market, they all are because farmers look at that price as, you know, if I was getting two fifty for this really nice coffee when the market was a dollar twenty, well the market's at two fifty now. I should get four fifty five dollars. So mm-hmm. everybody's subject to it, whether they'd like to accept it or not. Number two. I think there's just been a proliferation of very small boutique overly you know excited roasters that think a nice story equals a high price and unfortunately i think a lot of consumers maybe think well if it's expensive it must be good and it's just been this thing that's really happened over the last eight to nine years with cheap money easy money and just you know you go to a nice shop and it looks like an apple store and you know but it's starting to kind of lose its wind at this point okay uh honestly because i can when i did try coffee for a very short time i did drink coffee um i was always i was actually out in washington uh city of washington and everybody bragged about starbucks because I, ne- I never drank about it and the first time i i drank starbucks coffee was was there because that's what you know that's where they're from and that's what they did is i thought it was burnt i i honestly thought they did something wrong that a coffee that it made you get that burn taste, that like charcoal burn wood taste out of it. But, uh, you know, 
But then again, I, I drank really cheap coffee, like even instant coffee or, or something, and it tasted 10 times better. So that, I guess it's all about personal preference on that aspect. I mean, that's the biggest reality of the industry that I think too many people in this industry don't even understand, which is, you know, this new movement that I mentioned with the hyper specialty. It's right. almost been this mentality of we're going to tell you what's good. And the truth is you have to respect consumers enough to say, well, what do you like? Let me meet you close to where you are. And gradually, if I think, you know, I can provide you a better value, better taste, whatever it might be, walk you through there over time. And I think what's happened is, you know, there's almost a disrespect to the consumer, in my opinion, with, well, you drink this junk, you should be drinking this. And it's, it's uh -huh. kind of insulting to the consumer, uh, where if you like instant coffee, great, that's what you like. You know, now, if it was up to me to get that market, I would make a better instant coffee that's more sustainably sourced, that treats farmers better. But there's no good or bad, in my opinion. And I think that's okay. been the problem in this industry. Uh, now, for me, as a personal preference, yeah, there's coffees I like better than others and some <laughs> that I can touch. But I think as a company, there's got to be a little humility in that process of, uh, you know, I think our coffee is the best, but it's not just about taste. It's about a very well-rounded set of variables. Okay. Well, that that's a great segue into uh, how do you – how do you differ yourself besides the organics and whatnot? How do you differentiate yourself in the market? Uh, by you know, because there is uh, it's very limited market, but uh, there's big big names in it. I should say. Yeah, ultimately, I think um, we've been true to who we are since we started. You know, okay. since I was a college kid in the mid '90s, uh, I've been very vocal about a. I want to support uh, farmers in Latin America. I want to support the Latin American community and represent us in a positive way because I think we're missing that uh, in the media and in society as a whole. Um, and B, we're just consistently looking for the best way to, to deliver value. You know, I think there's this premise, again, that, you know, expensive is good. And our goal is to deliver very good coffee and, and you know, be fair to the consumer. You know, the premise of fair trade is always thrown about in coffee about being fair to the farmer, but nobody talks about being fair, fair to the consumer. And I think there's a lot of unfairness for the consumer right now that people don't talk about. So I think being true to who we are and being, you know, if people follow me on LinkedIn, they'll see, I'm very honest. I say things that other people get upset about. You know, I was at a coffee trade show about two months ago and literally people pulled me aside and said, you know, some of the things you say are very, you know, can hurt the industry. That's fine if it hurts the industry, but it's good for society and for consumers and for farmers. Maybe it's okay. So I think having that uh, knowledge of who you are and caring at everywhere you go is very important. And that, that permeates through the brand. Ah, that's that's great. Because uh, one, one of the major things about the show is uh, I've done quite a few shows about branding and personal branding. And who, the brand is who you are. And right. uh, emanating the brand into all that you do is, is just good character. And that's what I, I tell a lot of, you know, that's what came across from the multiple people that I've talked to. And, and you're just another instance of it in, in a different industry. And, and uh, you can tell the people that you offend or think they think that they're better than when they come to you and bring that, bring that discussion to you. Yeah. And ultimately, I think, you know, it's unfortunate because we do live in an era right now where you can't be in the middle of the spectrum. So you do have to push one edge or the other, right? right? So that's unfortunate because it's not really who I am. But 
I think fortunately for me, and unfortunately in a lot of ways is being a proud Latino has been, has rubbed people the wrong way, you know? And I think, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I, I was like, well, then we have to do more of that because I'm not hurting anybody. We're not taking anything away from anybody. We just are very proud of who we are. And more importantly, I want the kid who immigrated here, you know, with his parents who don't speak any English, who went through what I went through to be like, hey, there's other people doing things beyond the low expectations that have been put on us by society. You know, here's an example. Our, our you know, Latinos grew up better. You know, a little bit. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, it's a tongue-in-cheek thing, and some sure. people get bothered by it, but I think it's important to to be proud of who you are. And I think maybe I have a chip on my shoulder because, like I said, as a kid having to assimilate, I had to absorb a lot of who I was. And that moment when it all hit me again in Nicaragua in 91, I realized the power of that. And frankly, I think my success is driven maybe by three top things, but the, one of the top ones is staying true to who I am. Okay. That has been a critical, critical part of, of uh, my success. And I think the respect that we've gotten as, as a company through the industry. Okay. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, honestly, when I, when I used to travel and whatnot, I, I went to, when I traveled, especially out of country, I, I want to experience what what your country has, like right. your foods, your, your, um, your environment, your culture, uh, dancing, music, all that stuff. I don't want to go to a McDonald's or a Dunkin' Donuts. If you're known for your coffee or whatever, or teas or or food or or whatnot, I want to I want to I want to experience that. I can get McDonald's food and fast food anywhere in the world, and that you know that's one thing that I will say America does very well is they will bring what they want with them. You know, right. and I, I I'm not a fan of that. I, I would rather like you do with the with the farmers and whatnot. I'd rather support the local mom and pop shops. Because I want to know what what makes them special and what. Yeah, you know what's funny is one of the things I think is kind of converse of what you're saying is, I want to bring a new perspective of Latinos to the U.S. We're not all yard workers. We're not all criminals. Some of the words and some of the I did a presentation and I did headlines of of the way Latinos are referred to, and it's it's terrible. It's all negative. It's all kind of you know to put us down. And my whole thing is I want the opposite. I want to bring you the best of our countries. Yes. We even have a, a, you know, a section on our site called Orgullo Latino. And we do articles about the best food from our countries, the best, you know, the music, the artists, the companies to show you the good stuff. And every community and every culture has good and bad. Right. I just want to be a conduit for the good. Oh, I agree. And honestly, it's, I thought it was, it, a coincidence or, or not, but I actually seen the Flamin' Hot documentary the other night with yeah. the Cheetos and what the what uh, PepsiCo did with the Cheetos and, and uh, how that that man brought spice into our life, life into snack foods. And you're just doing the same thing in the coffee industry. Yeah, again, it's authenticity, right? And you forget, yeah. you know, there's a lot of Latinos in the U.S., Yes. So yes, if right. he liked spicy, maybe other people like spicy. And sure enough, they did. And he turned that company, that, that division around for Pepsi. So I think it's also to talk into the power of the Latino presence and, and influence in, in the United States. No, I agree. Uh, there's, uh, I live in a very, it, it's a more diverse area now. And there's a lot of, a lot of good people that I associate with are, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning how how they cook, you know, their spices and whatnot, like we're talking about. And to see everything that's 
melt and the way they make things their own and you know you can definitely tell by the music you know it's very uh very upbeat yeah i'll say and the beauty is they're also different you would think you know we all kind of get lumped behind the mexicans because there's a lot of mexicans in the u.s but right. we're also different so we all have different music and different foods and different you know rice and beans can be one thing for cubans another thing for nicaraguans another right. thing for you know, even the names and the way it's prepared. And so something very basic can also be very differentiated between country. And I think showing those nuances is also part of what we like to do. And, you know, sometimes we push the specific countries and, you know, show the difference between each country and the cultural aspect as well. Oh, yes. And uh, after looking at your website and whatnot, you can definitely s sense the culture that you put into all that you work on and what you're bringing out and especially the the gourmet coffees and um the way you're helping people uh but martin we actually are halfway through the show what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break we're going to get some words in from from uh the station and what we're going to do is we're going to come back and i want to get more into some of your personal sides of the personal sides of uh how you got into this more uh everybody thank you for tuning in uh this is the Making More Money For You show. I'm definitely here with Martin Mayorga. Uh, we're talking about coffee and how he's actually revolutionizing the coffee industry in Latin America and bringing it to the world. So sit back. If you're tuning in, hold on a second. If you're still with us, go grab a drink or something, maybe coffee, maybe some water, and we'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Everyone deserves the opportunity to have access to the knowledge to make their own choices when it comes to where their money goes. Listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter will give you that access. Investing isn't just for the wealthy. Making More Money for You, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter. If you have any questions for Magnus or his guests, join us on the show at 866-472-5789. That's 866-472-5789. Now back to the show. Here is Magnus Carter. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show or welcome to the show. If you're just tuning in, we are talking about a 
substance that a lot of us in around the world use daily and sometimes multiple times a day is uh, we're actually talking about coffee, the coffee industry, uh, what it takes to actually get the, the raw product and getting it to your house. Uh, I have Martin Mayorga here from Mayorga uh, uh, Organics. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Martin, welcome back to the show. Of course. Thanks for having me back. Oh, absolutely. You know, we we caught, we covered quite a bit uh, why you got into it, where, where you're located at, which is in uh, the central central city, <laughs> basically central Latin America. So um, about your farms and whatnot, and you have quite a few farms. Uh, I'm not going to lie. You help uh, hundreds of thousands of people, we can honestly say. We're in about that. Yeah, over time, definitely, for okay. sure. And, uh, you know, we did talk about how you got back into you know your your home country but what made coffee stand out besides the farmers and whatnot instead in that area of the world there's need for everywhere but what made coffee stand out more to you than like a maybe cattle or uh something else tobacco industries in there as well or cigars what what made coffee stand out more to you you know i was in cigars and cigar manufacturers do very well uh I think what hit me with coffee was I saw it and really learned, you know, when I, I left college and I went to, I lived in the cigar factory and, you know, I would go spend time at different farms. I've always loved agriculture and seeing the duality and the difference between the people who grow the coffee and the people who drink it was like just being on like a, I don't know, it was just two different complete, you know, realities. So you see someone who barely makes enough to feed their family and who has to do anything possible just to stay alive. And the people drinking the product that these very same people are growing are dropping, you know, five, six bucks back then was a big deal. That's a huge deal. That's like $10, uh, $11 now. Yeah. Um, and I thought, man, this is crazy because someone's making all this money. You know, a pound of coffee will make 40 cups of coffee. And the math just didn't work out. And I thought there's an opportunity to make a change here. And most people I knew in the coffee world were either wealthy, wealthy estate owners who frankly, some of them were part of the problem of, of keeping small producers oppressed, if you will. And most were just very poor, trying to figure it out. And, um, you know, I kind of felt, it sounds corny to say calling, but I did feel like, you know what? I need to figure this out because it seems too easy. That was the biggest thing for me. This problem seems too easy to solve, and there's got to be a reason why it's not solved. And frankly, it's still not solved, and it might be worse today. So the reason it's not solved is there's a lot of money in keeping people poor, and people are doing that on purpose. So we try to do the opposite. Yeah, uh, yeah that's we can see that basically everywhere out there. Any any, mm -hmm. any industry that when you work for somebody, you you see that. You know the the salary wage we we can get that's a whole other show show and a half on that about salaries wages benefits and all that fun stuff um, but as we're saying here is the process it, it, you know it's getting better but what what changes have you made in your processes i know you you began roasting coffee beans as well to get the roasting aspect under control but what are other things besides uh, trade secrets or anything that you don't have to get into but what are some ideals that you've you've changed throughout the years and you see it getting better 
you know, ultimately the biggest thing I did that I think very few people do at all in this industry is I had presence in Latin America. I spent the first 10 to 15 years of my work in this industry doing nothing but being in Latin America, learning, understanding, making mistakes, um, and seeing the realities. I think part of the problem is a lot of people in the industry don't know the realities. So they're out here educating consumers when they're not themselves educated. So I think the biggest thing I did was create presence and hire people in these countries to also be constantly present, to build rapport because it takes years to build these relationships where a farmer can tell you, you know what, that mill tells me the cost of milling is 36 cents, but I hear it's 18 cents at this one. And all of a sudden you start finding the opportunities to create, uh, you know, change and shifts. And it's not this kind of, you know, easy to promote and market reality, right? The reality is, we renegotiated with a mill or we went to another mill. We um, helped the producer understand how to pick better so that their waste was lower when they submitted the coffee. We guaranteed the contract to the, um, to the bank so that we could negotiate down their interest rate. I mean, it's all the things that, you know, we had to really develop the understanding and the trust and the relationships. That's everything. That's what makes us stand out. And that's what's made us grow. And that's what makes us continue to grow every year. Um, obviously within that, we've hired great people who are going to help us with the roasting and the cupping and the very technical stuff, which frankly I can do, but it's not my, that's not my focus. Right. My focus is to understand the totality of my business. And I think we've done that very, very well. Um, so I think that's, that's where we've, we've made the impact. And then it, it develops to the point where, you know, two years ago, there was hurricanes right before Christmas, uh, in Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua. We were able to deploy, I think, like forty, fifty thousand dollars within hours because we have partners there. We wire money; they're out there buying food, and the relationship becomes so efficient that now you're dealing with problems not just on the long term, but on the near time, immediate needs. So that's been critical. You know, the problem is that is not recognized or seen in the industry, but it means a lot to us. And frankly, those who take the time to read our blogs or look at our social, whatever, see it. And we have probably the most loyal fan base in the industry. Wow. That's, that is very impressive, especially in this industry where you have a lot of heavy hitters that have been in business a lot longer than you have possibly by decades. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're getting that turnout. That's, that's impressive. And, and that's amazing. And I can definitely see, you know, why people would, um, entrust their, their farms and their livelihoods to you to actually help them help them grow. Now, when you start working with these farmers and they start seeing the benefits of working with you, do they start, does the attitude change and they want to do it more and more efficiently with you? I wish I could tell you it was easy and like, it, it's not a linear process, right? It's no, kind of like, right. like a, a stock market run. <laughs> it's not really there's always dips. So there's always distrust because you have 200 years of distrust. You have 200 years mm -hmm. of I'm going to kind of get one over on you before you get one over on me. Right. So there's that. And you have to kind of bite your tongue and kind of drudge through that. And then there's the, you know, somebody came and made a bigger promise. I'm going to go with them. And you let them do that and find out that that group was not honest. And mm -hmm. so you have to really kind of um, not have pride <laughs> because okay. you're trying to really break something very systemically and bring people. And I think over time, and this is something I preach to my kids and everybody's like, 
it's just consistency in time. It's those like micro moments that build upon each other. It's compounding interest. It's just, that's the reality of how we've grown. It's do the right thing every day and take one foot forward every day. And even if your producer sells you out or whatever, you keep showing up, you keep doing your thing. And eventually everybody understands that, wow, these people are for real. And that's who we are to people. And to the point where we have uh, producers approach us from all over, unfortunately we can't support them all, but that's our reputation. If we align with you, we will do the right thing for you. And frankly, I'll be honest, we're not gonna come in and pay you an exorbitant, exorbitant amount of money because we have to stay in business and we have to be profitable. Right. But we'll pay you the most that is reasonable for that quality of coffee or that, that product. Uh, but more importantly, we'll be consistent will help you through the process of getting your financing together and doing everything. We'll just show up, buy and leave. So I think that's also a, a very critical thing. And yeah, it's not linear. It's, it's a little bit of a choppy growth curve, but it's been a growth curve despite that. And um, to the point where in some countries where we didn't find a co-op, we'd find a family farm that was just kind of coming up and struggling. And then we work with them to create a co-op around them. So in Guatemala and Colombia, we found family farms that were just small and now they're buying from 40, 50 neighbors and all of a sudden the community is now becoming cooperative. And that's through our support of, you know, growth and, and buying at scale. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. It's not instant gratification. Like you're saying, it's the little compounding things and uh, the delay gratification, if you will, is seeing, seeing the benefits of, of working with, uh, especially when crops and crop seasons you honestly don't know and you can't you can't judge the weather about that or any of the environment on on it yeah and frankly our industry changes our industry loves to create hot new things and get people excited and then let them down and you know i think <laughs> we've had to live through through those with our producers and um i think they see that you know the steady climb makes the most sense um you know i've been doing this for 25 years so you we've accumulated a lot of small wins and i think Producers see that too. Yeah. Now, you, I know in your bio you have a family. Does your family also work in the coffee industry with you, or do they are they off doing their things like being like schooling and or whatnot? I mean, my kids, my one daughter's you know finishing her studies. My son's in high school, of a baby who's just being a baby, and then my <laughs> wife, my wife used to run the uh, sourcing. Um, she's from Costa Rica. Okay. And she used to manage all the relationships. Like I said, she was the one everybody liked. I'm the one they called when they needed a contract. Uh, <laughs> so they still reach out to her. It's funny. They still reach out to her. I hear stories where like farmers have pictures of her in the farm in their house. And she's a likable one. I'm kind of the let's get the business one. So yeah, and I'm you know, I'm, look, I have no expectation of my my son to work in the business, but I'm trying to teach him the principles and values, and more importantly, the premise of building a sound business, which I think, you know, I mentioned probably three things that have made me successful. I think having mm -hmm. a very strong financial mind and background and understanding the concept of building a model before you just run out and try to create something fun. Um, so I think having him see that is very important. Uh, and also showing him uh, from what you're talking about and what we're actually talking about is how actually money works right. as a tool. and not not the end game that everybody wants and has in a bank somewhere that uh you're you're building it you you have your purpose you have a plan and uh you're you're executing it you know exactly. from what we're talking about and as you grow a business you realize that you're creating value and you're creating value from for others sometimes and sometimes you can capture some of that value back 
And at the end of the day, once you're in business 25 years, you realize that the real money is made by financing certain parts of different mm -hmm. things. And if you can become the financer, then you can participate in that as well. Um, so that's something I've done very intelligently, which is invest in the right parts of the business, invest in, you know, I almost joke that my org is almost my own hedge fund. You know, I always have the right. opportunity in the moment, you know, we're getting big into real estate now when that was kind of where you wanted to buy your own building. We built it. Everybody wanted to rent it. We're like, let's rent it. Now we're making a ton of money in this building. It's appreciated 3X. Let's do it again. And now we're creating value for the business and having longevity. And so it's things like that that I think um, are very important of understanding that a business is not just buy at X and sell at Y. There's so many more opportunities within mm -hmm. that process to make money and to diversify within that reality as well. Oh, absolutely. And your income stream, the more the multiple income streams that you're generating over it is you're generating your generational wealth. You're also uh, solving problems as well. You know, the housing or uh, making sure that uh, the farmers actually still have a job and have a farm to actually make their money. So you're solving a lot of different aspects to problems that are everywhere in your countries that you're yeah. that you're working with. And frankly, it keeps me busy and it's fun. You know, I like challenges and I like being creative. And look, you get one life, you get one opportunity. And, you know, for me to just build a great coffee business is nice. But to make an impact in doing so, to build generational wealth, to help my um, team achieve things financially that they couldn't have achieved elsewhere. I mean, all those things. I mean, that's what motivates me and keeps me busy. So, you know, I think the game of business is a very fun game to play if you know how to really move the the pieces well, because it's, it's complex at the same time. Yeah, uh, I will. I will definitely agree with you. It is very complex and you make that one wrong move. That's when a lot of people give up and fold in. But even when you make that wrong move, it's still an opportunity to do better. Yeah. Trust me, I've done a lot of things that people would categorize as a mistake, but you <laughs> learn from it and you do this good stuff more, you do the bad stuff less. I mean, it's uh, pretty, pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, still I, have an appetite for, for risk. I mean, I think that's a big thing. Probably number three for me of like the top things is like, I'm not, a, I, I'm not scared of anything. Because I believe in myself, I believe in my vision, I believe in my ability to execute. If I see something that I think I can make happen, even if everyone tells me it's too big or too much, I have no fear. And my team has adopted that and I have a very tight, small team that now lives by that, which is we're not afraid of anything. If we're put into a challenge or we create a, a situation that mean, feels like a reach, we'll figure it out. I'm not worried about it. Now, see, now that you brought a, another thing, that a lot of key people that have been on the show is you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people that want to want to exceed as succeed as much as you do. And, you know, you got rid of the naysayers and, and you're still booming. Yeah. And I think more importantly, the beauty is you, you have people who may be like-minded, but operate differently. My company CEO and president Aaron is a planner and she likes to, you know, I come in like a bull in a China shop and it's just, but she's learned to like, okay, things tend to work out. So let me just ride out the process and give it some some order, right? Let me give Martin's crazy idea a little order. Let me work with him. If he believes in this, I got to close my eyes and jump. And I think when they close their eyes and jump enough and land, they realize, okay, I can trust them. And that, that's my, I tell my team all the time, my job is not to be your friend or to, you don't even have to like me. Do you trust me and do you believe in me? That's all I need. You believe in me, you trust me, good. 
great. I want to be friendly and everything, but like trust and, 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 and believing that I can do what I say I'm going to do. That's all that matters. Uh, that they're actually hiring you, so to speak, to do a job and you need to perform your job. Exactly. And I see it that way. I, I work for them. I work for their future. I work to make sure their kids can eat and they can put a roof over their head and they can plan for their kids' college. That's my job. So I, you know, I don't take it lightly. No, not a, and you shouldn't. Well, I agree that, you know, this is your, they're not just chess pieces to you because you are actually uh, part of the cult. You, you are part of the culture. So you understand and you, you understand what it needs to be, to be, uh, to have them have some su success as well. Exactly. Yeah. And everybody contributes and that it all works out. You're right. Uh, now, out of all the products that you have that you are offering out to, to people um, worldwide, what's your favorite product that you manufacture? I mean, we have a coffee called Cafe Cubano, which okay. is a Cuban coffee. And I think it's my favorite in the fact that, you know, one of the things about my blends is that they all have some history to them. And that history is personal to me. The Cafe Cubano was a product I created over 23 years ago as kind of an uh, homage to my time in, in Miami in Little Havana, where my dad would sit around with the Cubans and, you know, they'd left their country, we'd left our country. I was a tiny kid, but I just thought it was so cool, these guys just sitting around, drinking coffee, playing dominoes. Um, and I developed that as a way to, like, just kind of keep my roots connected into this business. And the beauty is it's taken off. It's by far number one seller, number one seller in most of the retailers we sell it in. Uh, so I think emotionally it has a lot of meaning to me. And it's also a, a kind of a, a sense of accomplishment that it's become such a big seller. Uh, so I would say the Cafe Cubano would be up there. And then we have one called Muy Macho, which is more of a fun, like he's a, like a Mexican luchador. But again, it's got a personal story to it. When I was living in Nicaragua during the revolution, we didn't go to school for a year. I was a little kid. And I lived under so much stress that I created a fictitious character called Muy Macho who would like protect everybody. And it was like, I'm sure a therapist would have a field day with that, but <laughs> I brought it to life in the coffee and it's part of me. So it means a lot, you know? So I think having these things that mean a lot um, really are more like sentimental to me. Um, so those are kind of the top two coffees I would say that mean the most to me. And then the Chia has been a program that we started to help farmers when the coffee rust was killing their crops. They literally couldn't produce coffee. We planted Chia alternatively, very quickly, very rushed. Thank God for Costco who came in and said, we'll buy whatever you grow. This is in 2012, 2013. Today we'll do about 7 million pounds of Chia uh, because wow. of the program. And of course now it's expanded from Nicaragua to Mexico and Bolivia and different countries. So I think um, the Chia has a, a big kind of uh, sentimental value to me because it, it, it's been impactful. It's been very impactful. Uh, I really think we've changed a lot of lives and communities through the Chia. That's that's impressive, especially with everybody being health centric and whatnot. Chia is one of the top things that you actually want to put in your diet, you know. Yeah. And so that's that's uh, remarkable. Uh, quickly, uh, we we only have a few minutes left. We're getting close to the end of the show already. This is crazy. Where do you see the organization going from here? You know, what what's your next big tackle, or what mountain? Literally, what mountain are you going to climb next? 
You know, I think my climbing mountain days are behind me because I'm 50. I'm climbing hills. Uh, <laughs> but I think for me right now, it's about we're growing really, really nicely with the secondary products, the coffee, like I said, chia with beans. Right. Um, I want to see more coffee presence, but I'm also very selective. We're, we're not out there begging for business. I don't have salespeople. I like to make, uh, you know, I'd like to align with more big retailers for private label manufacturing because I want house brands to have the values and the quality that we bring that nobody else is bringing to them. Um, and frankly, I want to see us become massive players in the industrial real estate game because that is just a personal challenge to me and my team. And I think as a Latino, I've yet to see somebody I can look at and say, wow, this this guy immigrated and bought, you know, he has half a million square feet of industrial space. So for me, I think that's a personal accomplishment for my kids and you know, the generations that I leave behind. So that, that's a big one for me. Okay. Wow. That's, those are, I don't think that's such a small hill that you think it is. Okay. Well, at least, well, do you find that challenging yourself uh, still keeps, keeps it exciting for you? If I don't challenge myself, I get depressed and bored. Okay. I mean, literally, I'll get, I have to have a challenge. And young me used to create problems to have challenges. <laughs> you know, so mature <laughs> me now knows that opportunities and challenges mix, mix better. So uh, I'm doing that now. And I need the challenges. I need the, I love problem solving and creating and, and seeing kind of the zig and zag that it takes to get from point A to point B. I, I like that. Okay. Uh, I, I, with you on the earlier days, I used to break things so I know how to fix them. Instead exactly. of just instead of reading a book on how to fix, it, I'm like, oh, well, you're just gonna move this over here and see what happens. Like, oh, it's really broken. Then put it back. Exactly. <laughs> so okay, well that that is completely amazing. We have oh, was it four or five minutes left? Okay, this is I can't believe how fast the time has gone with you, Martin. You know, and and learning about exactly what you're doing down in Latin America, in in those countries, and honestly. Um, the coffee industry in general. So are your coffees actually worldwide or is it just regional, like in the Northwestern, South, Southwest? So our roastery is based in Maryland, in Rockville, Maryland, and we sell nationally. So we're nationally, you know, through different retailers. I mean, Costco, Amazon, Whole Foods, different grocers, our own website, myorgacoffee.com. We also have some clients with presence in Canada and Europe that we ship to. Um, okay. So we technically are international, but frankly, the U.S. is such a big market that I'm not one of these guys looking to penetrate the European or Asian market. I'm very happy growing in the U.S., and I think there's tremendous opportunity there for us. Oh, absolutely! Everybody, everybody has at least one to two cups. Ninety percent of people in America have at least three to four cups of coffee, coffee a day. Yeah, um, you know, and it's it's constantly growing. You know, the fan base is not getting any shorter, any smaller, I should say. Yeah, there's definitely a big fan base. There's a lot of competition. I think that's going to start changing as, you know, cost of money goes up and access to money goes down. So uh, I think we're in a good spot to continue to grow. One, I have two final questions to wrap to wrap up the show. Is Do you feel that coffee is a necessity or a luxury? I mean, I guess anything that isn't necessary to keep you alive is a luxury. <laughs> um, although if you think about it, when, you know, I went to... Nicaragua after Hurricane Mitch and we raised a lot of money and I was pretty impressed to see that the the survival kits or whatever they call it mm -hmm. after you know that they would give a family included right. ice beans sugar coffee um I think a lot of it's because it keeps you 
feeling full. So it just, you don't have to eat so much. I definitely think it's a luxury. I mean, I can do without it. I just don't want to, uh, <laughs> you know, okay. so for me, it is my luxury of the day. I literally go to bed excited for the next morning because I'll roast my own coffee here. And sometimes I'll do something different and unique and I'm looking forward to wake up to it. So uh, it's definitely a luxury, but it's an affordable luxury. And I think that my job and my vision is to keep it affordable where others are trying to make it a little bit unreachable. And just to separate people away who can afford it and who can. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that myself. No. Uh, and the, my last question real quick, knowing the knowledge you have now, if you could talk to your younger self, what what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? Be patient. Uh, okay. No, I think I wanted, like most young people, I really, you know, at one point I had 14 shops with my name on them and it was a disaster, but I let my ego liked it. I was in, you know, 26, 27. I had all these shops who mm-hmm. knew my name when I paid with a credit card in the DC area. They recognized me because they, and it became a problem because they were a lot to manage. They held back my growth. Okay. So I think, you know, but unfortunately, we all learn from our mistakes and not from advice and, I guess the real advice I'd give myself is enjoy it because <laughs> you're going to make mistakes and okay. you're going to, you know, zig when you should have zag. But I think just enjoy the process. Oh, fantastic. Martin, thank you for being on the show. If are any of the guests out there watching now or listening now or watching now or in the future want to get a hold of you or learn more about your company or get your products, where can they find you? It's Mayorga Coffee. That's M-A-Y-O-R-G-A Coffee. You can find us on Instagram there, MyorgaCoffee.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Martin Mayorga. And uh, yeah, you can find us through all the socials and uh, online. Awesome. Well, Martin, I really appreciate it. And I thank you for your time and being here on the show with us. Appreciate you inviting me and having me on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, everybody, that is th- this week's show about from Martin and coffee and the coffee industry and what he's doing with it and with him and the co- his con- uh, company is doing with it. Uh, next week is going to be a super special program as well as like all of ours is uh, next week. We're going to get a little political. Uh, I have 2024 presidential candidate Barack Zilberberg going to be on the show. So we're going to talk about him, why he wants to run for president, where he's coming from, and what he thinks he can actually help to do in the upcoming election. So until then, it is still nice outside. It's very warm. Please watch out for fires. Uh, some places are in, are in a drought. So be mindful of that and uh, enjoy the outside for now. Until next time, uh, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter on the Voice America Business Channel. We look forward to the next show where we will be making more money for you. Until then, have a fantastic week.